The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus summoned the crowd again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that enters one from outside can defile that person. But the things that come out from within are what defile. When he got home away from the crowd, his disciples questioned him about the parable. He said to them, Are even you likewise without understanding? Do you not realize that everything that goes into a person from outside cannot defile, since it enters not the heart but the stomach and passes out into the latrine? Thus he declared all foods clean. But what comes out of the man, that is what defiles him. From within the man, from his heart, come evil thoughts, unchastity, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, licentiousness, envy, blasphemy, arrogance, folly. All these evils come from within, and they defile. The Gospel of the Lord. We have in our readings today two gardens. There is the Garden of Eden, the original paradise that we hear about in our first reading. And then there is that second unruly garden of the human heart, of which Jesus speaks in our gospel reading today. And to really understand the fullness of the teaching in the gospel, it is wise to begin with that original garden, Eden, that we hear about in our first reading. We've just moved through in our daily readings the account of the seven days of creation, and we find ourselves today with a second story of creation. And it is important that we recognize that. There are two accounts in the book of Genesis, one right after the other, of God creating the world and creating humanity. And this is not two things that disagree with each other, but two ways that the Holy Spirit has given us of looking into and understanding the mystery, the very profound mystery of what it is to say that the origin of all life is in God and from God. Yesterday's reading at the completion of that majestic description of the seven days of creation left us with men and women created in the image and likeness of God in a well-ordered universe that has a place for them and they are present as the capstone of God's creative activity. Having just contemplated that and looked at the Lord resting in the goodness of all that he made, we start again at the beginning. And here in the beautifully simple account that we have before us, rather than ending with man, things begin with man. And note, this is not a contradiction, only in it's a contradiction only in terms of the order of events. But each one insists on the unique status of humanity in the eyes of God. 
The first account shows us the universe being prepared for man. And here we see that man is the beginning of the creative works, in other words, the point, the very point out of which the Lord engenders all things. And here we see an account that stresses a certain intimacy in the creation of man. Marvelously physical imagery of the Lord reaching into the clay of the ground and shaping the man that he makes. And this image is not saying that God has physical hands and physically sculpts clay, but he is saying that the shape of human life is something that is the working of God's activity. That human life is given its form, not just the physical form, but the form of living comes directly from God. And it is the Lord himself by breathing, by sharing something of his own life-giving spirit that animates man and brings him into the fullness of life. What a remarkably beautiful statement that is. Note how it insists that in the very depth of who we are, we come from God. Not accidentally, not as an afterthought, but intentionally. And this image of the individual man being created in this way also points to the fact that all men are created in this way. And that all human life has its origin in God and must look to the author of life to understand the fullness of its form. And we hear then that the Lord plants a garden in Eden in the east. And east in sacred scripture is the direction from which salvation comes. The direction from which life comes. It is the direction closest to the Lord. And the image of the sun rising in the east and letting its light break over the world is this image of the presence of God and the nearness of God. And so note, having created man, the Lord curiously places man even closer to his heart and his presence by settling him now in this garden that he has made. A garden of goodness and a garden of beauty. Note how carefully the scriptures point out that the trees and the plants in the garden were not simply good for nourishment, but they were pleasing to look at. There was something intrinsically delightful about them. And so again, note what that says about man. That man is made and the Lord wants to settle man, wants to settle humanity in a place that is not simply good, but delightful, a place of joy, a place of goodness, a place where all that is necessary for life can be found. Not a place of lack, but a place of abundance. And so in that place, close to his own light, man is settled in the midst of abundance, an abundance of blessing, an abundance of joyfulness. What a remarkably beautiful vision of humanity in the eye and the intention and the plan 
and the desire of God. And then we sit here and look around ourselves and say, what went wrong? We'll get to that in a couple days. We'll get to that in a couple days, but before we rush to what went wrong, it's important to see how right the beginning is, how good the beginning is, how dignified, how wondrous in the eye of the Lord himself the very nature of our being is, because we don't take that seriously enough. And it is now in this place of abundance where the Lord has settled man. And note that, that expression, he settled him there. Not that he temporarily located him until he would move him someplace else. This is meant to be the abiding place, a place of delight, a place of blessing, a place of abundance, a place of goodness. And in the garden are the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. And note we also then see in this first reading the very first instruction that God gives man. You can eat from everything except for the one tree. And avoid eating that tree because it will bring death to you. And there is no reason for you to have that. What a curious moment. What a curious moment. But we also see then that as man is made in the image and the likeness of God, there's a limit that comes with that because man is not God. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of silly interpretation about this original restriction that is placed on the human race that somehow God is tempting man and being very unreasonable about this. You know, the sense is, well, what do you expect if you say don't touch it? That's what everybody's going to do. No, that's what fallen man does. That's not what faithful man before the fall is capable of. And it's important that we recognize that because think about this. Of all the good things the Lord has made, God says to man, you can have them all. Every single one of them. As much as you want. Whenever you want, all you do need to do is reach out your hand and it is already there, ready for you, waiting for you. And I just ask you leave the one tree alone. Is that in any way unreasonable? Is that in any way unreasonable? Note, to focus on the restriction is to miss the abundance. This is what our petty hearts often do. We fixate on what I can't do. We fixate on what I don't have. We fixate on what is not mine. And in doing so, we miss the goodness that's all around us. We miss the blessings that are there. And so here in this original context, the Lord places a small, frankly, a tiny restriction on man. Everything is yours but one thing, and that's mine. Just respect that. And this is the context from which we move forward, and you know, we, we all know the end of the story by this point in our lives. 
We all know what's going to happen in just a couple days when we continue with our reading. And it's going to involve this one tree and this one limit. But what we see in our gospel reading today is now the after effects of what's going to happen. And note how the Lord speaks in language of abundance as well. And he does so addressing the issue and the concern that the Pharisees and the scribes have put forward about observing the ritual washings and eating with unclean hands. And Jesus pausing and saying, no amount of washing is going to ever make you really clean. Not with the cleanliness that matters. Not with the cleanliness that matters most, the cleanliness of the heart. Man doesn't defile himself by having unwashed hands. Man defiles himself by having an unwashed and uncleansed heart. And note then how the Lord speaks. It's not from what is outside of us, not from the abundance around us, but rather from the abundance or perhaps the lack of abundance within us that we, are, we demonstrate whether we are clean or whether we are unclean. And the Lord then uses language that is very much like the abundance of living things springing from the earth that we've just heard over these last couple days in God creating the world. Every kind of plant came up that bears fruit. And what does Jesus speak about? Attitudes in the heart that likewise bear fruit. Although the well-watered garden of the heart that he's talking about bears a very bitter fruit. And he says, look inside yourself and see that within you there's a fountain of selfishness. Look inside yourself and see that there is that which bears the fruit of angry impatience, of frustrated resentment, of self-serving deceitfulness. See that within you there is that which is bearing fruit, a fruit which isn't healthy in the first place. And yet we continue to feed on that fruit. And we wonder how it is that we're unclean. And the Lord says, don't look outside first. Look inside and see where that is coming from. Because whatever bad example even that formed you or motivated you, the simple fact of the matter is unless that example is planted within you, it's not going to do anything. And so what have you allowed to grow in your heart? What seeds have been sown in your heart of ambition, of anger, of selfishness, of fearfulness, of insecurity? And what fruits are these trees bearing in your life. Man was not made for that. 
Man was not made to be settled in the garden of anger. Man was not made to be planted and settled in the sunset of the West where darkness rises. Man was not made to be settled in the garden of a bitter pride. Man was made for something else. And so now the Lord is saying, you're eating the fruit of what tree? You're eating the fruit of what tree, of what plant? What are you reaching your hand out for? How is it bearing fruit in your life? And let's attend to that. And this is why he's come. And the Lord speaks in this strong, very direct and blunt way to open our eyes. And the point is not that we feel bad and miserable about ourselves. The point is recognizing if that's what the issue is, then that's where we begin. And that's what we begin working on. And that's what we begin moving toward because the Lord comes and he points out the bitter fruit that often is produced in our hearts. Why? So that we can learn to plant better trees, better virtues, and have better sources of action and attitude and thinking. So that something of that blessedness, that delightful blessedness for which we were originally made, might be rooted within us. What a beautiful call that is. And note how in no small measure, on the one hand, it is a call back to the original plan for us. And yet on the other hand, it's a call beyond it. Because into the heart of fallen man, Jesus Christ, great and powerful, comes. And in just a few minutes, in just a few minutes, we're going to come forward. We're going to stretch out our hands to him who is the very word through whom all things were made. To him who is that very God who shaped the life of man and originally settled him in Eden. We're going to stretch out our hands to him. And we're going to receive him. And we're going to take him into our hearts. Note how wonderful that is. And in receiving him, it is as if the tree of life is planted there for us. To bear a fruit better than any that Adam and Eve could have stretched out their hands toward. To be the source of a life richer and fuller and more free than even Adam and Eve had in their original perfection. And the Lord simply asks, work that garden of your heart. Tend to that tree of my life that I plant within you. And when you do, that tree will bear fruit that lasts even into eternity for you. What a remarkable gift that is. What a beautiful moment that is. What a great promise that is. And we see here that the Lord longs to settle us anew, not in Eden of old in the east, but in that perfect and eternal east of his light and his presence and his goodness. This, my friends, is why we're here. This is why we do this every week and even every single day. And yet as common as that is, it is so very important that we remind ourselves of its goodness and its beauty.
Amen.